you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. We are studying the book of Philippians. We started last week. And to just give you, we'll be in chapter 2 tonight. Each week we're going to kind of break down a chapter. And I absolutely love the book of Philippians, one that I've read many, many, many times, but especially over the last couple weeks in preparation for breaking these down chapter by chapter, week by week. So this will be our second night. We'll go next Wednesday and then the Wednesday after that as we dig into this. And tonight I want to kind of approach it from a different way or a different theme. But what we see as you read the entirety of the book of Philippians is that Paul had genuine joy in planting and pastoring from a distance. They put, probably put a few leaders in place to help pastor the church and shepherd the church. But when Paul writes this, he's in jail again. And as we talked last week extensively of this, of we all have a call of God upon our lives. And we talked last week about how Paul was operating in that call. It's my belief that he was operating in the general direction of God, i.e. Jesus saying to his disciples that they would have carried forward, go into all the world, go into all the world and make disciples. We know Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So there were kind of levels of start here in Jerusalem, see God move, revival break out. They moved to Samaria, saw God move. People were filled with the Holy Spirit, including Gentiles, which was something that surprised them. Paul, being the brilliant man that he was, was persecuting the church at the time, very brilliant, was trained up under Gamaliel, who was a a Jewish rabbi, and he was called by God to go into the rest of the world and preach the gospel. He's moving towards what he knew God's will to be, planting churches, seeing miracles, seeing signs and wonders, plant a church, move to the next city, plant a church, move to the next city. And when he gets to a certain place, it literally says the spirit of Jesus forbid him from moving forward into where he was going. And that same day, he had a vision of what they call the man in Macedonia. It's figurative because he, for whatever reason, uh, I don't know if it was the way the person was dressed or he saw something that was recognizable. So he goes to this area that was Greek-Roman area, a large area, And the biggest city in this area was a place called Philippi. And Philippi is where he saw a great revival break out in a church. And a lot of people saved. A lot of people came into the the body of Christ there. But one thing that Philippians really pulls out, and this is the direction I want to go tonight, one thing that the book of Philippians over and over talks about, and some of the most uh, recognizable verses that we all know, and you'll see them on bumper stickers, you'll see them on coffee mugs, you'll see them at different places. Philippians has more recognizable people's social media bios will have Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And many places in Philippians that people take those verses, and they're beautiful, wonderful verses because the tone of Philippians is one of joy. It really is. When you read it it, through its entirety, Paul, in a couple little subtle ways, is bringing a little bit of correction to them as he did in every book. But some books like Corinthians, you'll read it from, you know, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you'll read it from chapter 1 all the way through both of those books. And it's constant correction. It's it's constantly correcting the people of God in, in love. But we all know that, you know, truth and love go hand in hand. Amen? If you're just speaking the truth, you're probably just mean, right? And if you just speak love, you're never going to get anything across to people. Amen? It's the truth and love. And what he is so joyful about, we'll see in chapter 2 today. Because I believe that what 
filled his heart, brought joy to him, and he's telling them here in chapter 2, this will bring joy to you, is to let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And the mind and the joy that I believe he had was that they were all in unity. Everybody say unity. I want to talk about unity tonight. I talked last week about finding your Macedonian man, that Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was finally given direction of where specifically to go. And my point was that you're all called. Everybody has somebody that they're going to reach. It may not be a region. It may not even be, you know, a county. It may be your neighborhood. Amen? It may be your workplace. It may be somewhere that God just wants to use you in a specific way. But we all have that Macedonian call. We all have something that the Holy Spirit, a person, a place, an area, something of vision that he's going to put on our hearts. But what he deals with in chapter 2 is he, he's so joyful about the fact that this church is growing. And I think Philippians brings out what a maturing, growing, unified church looks like. And I want to talk about that tonight because church... One of the most important things that we can guard against is what Corinthians calls factions and schisms, right? In other words, it's, it's, and I want to tell you this right off the bat, it's not that we all look alike and we dress alike and we say the same things, right? If you go to a church and that's the case, you're probably in a cult. Come on, somebody. Am I lying, right? God loves diversity, but he loves us to be unified under the banner of the gospel. He loves us to be unified under the banner of we're all working towards the same goal. And I'll tell you what the same goal is. It's not even necessarily soul saved. It's to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And his joy that really comes through this book, and he even brings it up here in the, in the passage we're getting ready to read in Philippians 2. We're going to read verses 9 through 11 and then even go back and touch on a couple other scriptures. But this was the main one tonight that I wanted to talk about. If you look at Philippians uh, 2 verse 9. Let's jump in tonight. This is our anchor text that we'll kind of jump off into some things that I want to talk about. And I, I, let me say this before we read this. Everybody look back this way. My heart is filled with joy being the pastor of this church. Good. And the reason I say that is because I see people in this church. I've been here five and a half years now and I've known some of you that are sitting right here for five and a half years. We met over five and a half years ago when I first came here here in February of 2017. And uh, so I've gotten to know you very deeply. And then the people who God has brought and grafted into this body, and it's important to understand, you're not here by accident. Amen. And what I've seen and what I believe, Deanne, is that people are really growing into the calling and gifting that God's given them. I've seen spiritual gifts begin to be unlocked and people having dreams and visions and people operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And more important than anything, I'm filled with joy because I see you growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And that's as we read this, understand that Paul is wanting to guard and protect what I believe he saw as a true New Testament example of what people who were very diverse and very different in their backgrounds and their ethnicity. Somebody help me out. Ethnicity. In their in their economic background and in all these different ways, there was all this diversity that we're going to dig into tonight. Because here's what he says to him. He says, "Therefore, God exalted him, being Jesus, to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name." 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we stop in this moment and we acknowledge that you're Lord. We bow the knee of our heart right now in this moment. All of us do, Lord. We bow ourselves and submit ourselves to you tonight. Lord, as I teach your word, I just pray for the free-flowing communication of the Spirit of God would help me. You're my helper, Holy Spirit, so I ask for that help right now in this moment, not for myself, Lord, but so that your word can go forth to accomplish that which it is sent to accomplish. Lord, bring us together in, in unity. Father, let our joy grow tonight. Let us understand what true humility is as we study this passage of Scripture where you left heaven, Jesus, came to earth, and you were a servant of all. We love you tonight, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. So someday every knee is going to bow, amen? That's another one of those coffee mug or bumper sticker passages. And I'm sure everybody in here, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard this passage, you've heard this passage preached, you've heard it taught. You may have even memorized this passage. I have a long time ago just committed this to memory. But he talks about this joy. He talks about, and we're going to read the passage in just a minute, he talks about his joy being complete that they would continue to grow, they would continue to grow together as a body, and they would continue the work that he planted and started right there. Um, It's a great picture of what a maturing New Testament church. And my joy is that I see the maturity begin to take place and the foundation that you guys have carried in your lives continue to grow and continue to be who God has called you to be. But remember that Paul, when he first gets to Philippi, he gets arrested. Why did he get arrested? We talked a little bit about it last week, but I want to tell you about two men and two women as we talk about the diversity that was in the Philippi church. The two men, of course, was the man of Macedonia, which, again, was a vision that he had that directed him to where he was going to go. The second man I want you to notice that was in this church, it's cool just when you read these things, to step back and look at Acts and look at some more details of what's going on. So, again, We have an idea of what the church of Philippi was because some of the blanks are filled in the book of Acts, Acts 16 in particular, that talks about everything going on. We talked last week about this this demon-possessed servant, slave girl, who businessmen were making money off of her because she really did have a spirit of divination, which is kind of translated the spirit of python. And as soon as Paul deals with that, rebukes it, and I want to tell you tonight, demons are real. Amen. Come on, somebody. They are. And we have authority over them in Jesus' name. It doesn't mean you go looking for that stuff, but if you encounter something, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the authority. Paul rebukes this this spirit. It leaves her. And what we understand is she got radically saved and grafted into the body. Also, after Paul's put in jail, he doesn't go into jail and he begins to complain. He begins to worship and praise. And in that worship and praise, it says the place where they were at was shaken And the doors to the prison opened. And here's the cool thing. The jailer, the the Roman jailer, comes out. He's about to fall on the sword because he thinks everybody ran off. And Paul stops him and says, hey, wait, we're all still here. So to give you some diversity of people in this church, the revival that happened that built this church happened inside of a prison. Think about that for a minute. I kind of envision this Roman jailer as just a salt-of-the-earth, probably really rugged type of a person. 
Because to be a Roman jailer, he probably would have been in the military and probably had risen to a pretty lofty rank in the Roman military. And as they got older and phased out of the military, oftentimes, historically, they took jobs like he had. So probably a very, you know, very gruff, very salt of the earth, very, you know, you know, just hard type of a person or a, somebody intimidating if they were to walk in an armor through that door back there in Roman armor and a Roman helmet, it would have been intimidating. So imagine something in the church of Philippi. He, he's telling them of the mind that should be in them of bringing unity together. And you had a Roman jailer, but you also had more than likely the slave girl that had the spirit of divination cast off of her. But you also have another character. So there's two men, the man of Macedonia, the Roman jailer, and you also have two women. You have a slave girl or a servant who was being used by businessmen to make money off of the spirit that was on her. And I'll just give you a little side note. All that is a spirit. Amen. If you're opening the astrology page and looking at your stars and uh, come on, it is. If you're going to a tarot card reader, it's demonic. I'll just lay that out there. So she comes into the church. She's getting discipled. But there's also somebody named Lydia. And Lydia was somebody in the town that according to historical records and different things, she would have already been learning the Ten Commandments and God's law because she was having her own little Bible study and trying to get closer to God through the Old Testament. She's a, she, was, she wasn't a, a Jew But she saw the truth in God's word. And so she's having this little... The interesting thing about Lydia is most historians probably would have agreed she would have been a different ethnic background. Thank you, Rich. She would have been a different ethnic background than the other people in the area. So my, my point is simple. Listen to me for just a second. You have a gruff Roman jailer. You more than likely interspersed throughout all these people getting saved more than likely would have had the people that were in jail for stealing and taking and doing these things that would have later been released from prison. And now they've been touched by the Holy Spirit. They have given their lives to Christ through the preaching of Paul. So interspersed through all this on one row, on one end of the row, you had a girl who used to read people's mail through the spirit of divination. And you had Lydia down here on this end of the row. And here's the interesting thing about Lydia. She owned two homes in the biggest metropolis of Macedonia at the time. Own one home, you would have had to be really wealthy. And she had two homes. And not only that, but we get the picture of what the little that the Bible tells us, that she actually would have had like a clothing line. She was a fashionista. So if you put it in today's terms and context, and probably 90% of you don't even know who I'm about to say, because I don't watch this stuff, but my, my daughter has mentioned this name many times. She would be like a Kardashian getting saved today. That's, that's the equivalent. She would have had tremendous social influence. She would have had, she was already seeking God. And Paul kind of pulls her aside and says, hey, you have part of the picture. Let me tell you what the Old Testament is all about. Let me tell you what all the sacrifices were pointing to. And she gets radically saved. She's a person of wealth. So my my point is I want to paint you this picture of the tremendous diversity that would have existed in this church. And I want to say this. If you walk into a church and you aren't seeing some diversity, it concerns me. If you're not seeing somebody that may 
have it kind of put together and maybe has a couple homes across the road from somebody that doesn't have two nickels to rub together, I don't think we're reaching a cross-section of the people God has called us to reach. And you see that picture painted here. And, and I believe that Paul's joy was so full of understanding that, man, this is an example of a New Testament growing, maturing church that here's what I want them to know in chapter 2 is that you have to guard your attitude because selfish ambition and vain conceit and lifting yourself up higher than somebody else is going to destroy the unity that Christ has already brought into this church. And he, was, he wasn't correcting them, but I believe it was a warning of sorts of these two people that he kind of lays out there and kind of points to. Lydia was there, and there's this cross-section. And it also teaches us something else, and this is important. When I talked last week about finding your man in Macedonia, we understand that the gospel should be contextualized for the person that you are trying to reach. What do I mean by that? Is the, the servant girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination was ministered to by Paul in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Lydia would have been ministered by Paul in her understanding of what she knew about the Word of God. Do you see the difference there? And what I want to tell you tonight is the gospel is not natural. The gospel is supernatural. And by being supernatural, it already has power within it. But it's us, the Bible says this, he who wins souls is wise. So you are being led by the Holy Spirit and finding the people that God has given you some kind of right of way or influence to speak into their lives. You may on one occasion be able to pray over somebody and break something off of them, come on, and pray over them in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you may be dealing with a neighbor over here that has some knowledge of Scripture but doesn't really know what the power of God is and doesn't know. So you approach that from a completely different angle. We see that in Philippians. It wasn't just one size fits all. It's understanding that we have power and we have wisdom. And when you put truth and you put love together, as this church did, you're going to see people in the community reached. Whether they're Lydia, who owns two homes and has a fashion empire, or whether it's the servant girl who's being used in a temple to make money for people and being taken advantage of. Both of them experienced the power of God. Both of them were grafted into the church. And here you had the Roman jailer who got saved and his whole family sitting on one row, and you had a person down here that maybe had taken something and got put in jail for a season and all these different people. That is the beauty of the body of Christ, is that we have different backgrounds, we have different economic situations, we have different things going on in our lives, we even have different histories, we have different upbringings, we even have some differing theological things. But one thing that we can all agree on is when we found Jesus Christ, and submitted our lives to Him, and we got born again, we were all grafted into the body of Christ. And listen, if you want my joy to be complete, His joy to be complete, and your joy to be complete, it is finding that place of servanthood and unity within the body. Because church, the body is not the body as in we're just one church who's trying to do what God wants us to do out here. We literally are the body of Christ who we literally are the body of Christ who come together and we're serving God in unity, not because we all have the same backgrounds, but because we all serve the same Lord.
Amen? Amen. This diversity that Paul noticed and saw here in this place. Everybody say diversity. Diversity. Diversity is so important. Diversity is beautiful. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, just a little bit, right in the next part of the passage that we were looking at, is he says, Therefore, if you have encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. He wasn't even necessarily talking about the same doctrine. The walls that divide the church of Jesus Christ need to come down. Amen? This, could, this is a scripture for the entire body of Christ worldwide because we're one family under one banner, and that's the name of Jesus. Watch this. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, what's the next part? Not looking to your own interest, but each one of you to the interest of others. So what's he telling them here? He says, hey, you're a former slave. You're extremely wealthy. You own two homes. You're a Roman jailer. Some of you were in jail. You over here, you have two houses in a fashion empire. You over here, you used to steal stuff. But here's what he was trying to say to them. But Jesus is up to something in your midst. In church, Jesus is up to something at Christian Center Church. He is. If you would tap into and understand what he's offering right now in this season, as I've talked the last three weeks, the most powerful thing that we can tap into is his word, is in worship and in prayer, the very foundation, I believe, of the church, birth through the Holy Spirit, and those things continually being lifted up in our lives. God is doing something. He was doing something in their midst, and he's doing something in our midst. And I think the relevant, applicable word to this church is just like what he's saying here, is watch out for the enemy to try to bring vacancy. Watch out for the enemy to try to lift somebody else up and make them feel like they're above somebody else. In other words, he just says, just keep putting others before yourself because they were already modeling it. They were already doing it. They were already sharing in what they had. They were already a beautiful body. And he, I think he had some jealousy there to say, hey, the one thing that will come in and ruin what God is doing in your midst is that if you get puffed up with pride. If you... If you if you don't any longer remember the example that we have of Jesus Christ who left glory, who left his throne, who literally laid all that aside so that what? He would come and be a servant of all. That is our model. That is what we look to and who we look to and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing my pastor used to tell me, and I'm so thankful that I was mentored by the pastor that I, I was mentored by. And, uh, and understand, as, you know, the church I came from is, is a very large church, especially now. It's hundreds more people than when I left. And one thing that I always watched and saw him model, and this is what he used to kind of whisper to me, because say a big funeral, you know, he'd do a funeral, and he's been up there preaching and preparing and studying, and he preaches his funeral. 
I remember the first time he did this. He came in the kitchen. We were short a couple people serving food to all the people, you know, that we were ministering to after the funeral by feeding them in our fellowship hall. So we're all in the kitchen, and he sees a spot, so he takes off his suit jacket and just starts rolling up his sleeves. And he comes over and starts putting green beans on plates. And I, I looked, I said, Pastor, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that. We'll, we'll find or we'll get. I, I can do both of these. I can put a piece of bread on their table and green beans on the plate. I can do them both. And he looked back at me. He said this to me several times. He said, I'm just protecting my position in the kingdom, which is servant of all. And that's what Paul is writing to them as he's saying, this is the example that we have. And if you want to protect anything, don't protect your, your social standing. Don't protect your fashion empire. Don't protect even your past, even if it was negative or bad. What you need to learn is that you guys are going to continue to lovingly serve each other and do what? Consider others higher and better than yourself. That's the kind of church the Holy Spirit can move in. That's the kind of church. And when you connect these dots, you understand that one reason and way that we can continue to be humble and continue to lift others up, I'm not talking about their behavior, I'm talking about truly seeing people the way the Lord sees them. When you connect these dots, you understand that it's an understanding that we have been given so much, so much grace and so much forgiveness, that who are we? not to extend the same grace and forgiveness to other people. It's not the way it's supposed to be, according to Paul. And it brought him joy. So simply put, it's learning to live in unity with other people. So we have been given grace, so what do we do? We extend grace to other people. I think one of the best things that can happen within a church is when we learn to be the body. Everybody say the body. I don't think we learn to be the church. I don't think that that's possible. Just because, listen, just because you like a particular preacher or you like a certain style of worship or you don't like a certain style of worship, the reason I bring up those two things is if you were to take a poll of why people choose churches, that's at the very top of the list. And I hope you like the preacher. Come on. I hope you like it. I hope you do. And I hope you like our worship. I really do. We... we we, we, we try to do those things with excellence, but listen to me. If those are the reasons you join the church, then you're a fan, not a disciple. Really. And God isn't into making fans. What's the difference between a fan and a disciple? Here's, here's what I believe. Is if we're talking about unity, and the reason my joy is really complete is because I'm seeing people, and I mean this, I'm seeing people finally start to grab a hold of, I have a part to play in the, the spiritual success. Because I'm not worried about success in a natural sense. I'm talking about spiritual success. What's spiritual success? When people get saved, healed, and delivered. Amen. When people learn the word of God. That's, that's success. But what I've noticed in the church is we treat the church like a business. And that's what Paul, I believe, was trying to convey to these people. You're doing so well. Make my joy complete by having this same mind that Christ had in him. Let it be in you. And do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. Don't be bankrupt in the way that you treat each other as the body. Because in the American church especially, we treat the church like a business. If you go and pay to see a movie, you say, how, how do I know if I'm treating it that way? 
If you go to, to, to pay for a movie and you get finished, do you stay and pick up the popcorn? Of course not. Why? Because you're a customer. You're, you're, a, you're a partaker, taking of something. Or, or let me give you another example. If you go to a restaurant, you sit down at a table at a restaurant, and you, you notice that your water glass is empty, you've drank all your water, and nobody will come by and fill it. And you finally get a hold of the waitress, and she says, and you say, hey, my water thing's empty. Go in the kitchen and get it yourself. I try that at home. I come in. I say, Lee, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Give me a glass of water. What does she say? Go get it yourself, Jack. <laughs> Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And one thing that this body in Philippians 2 could lay a hold of that will change our church is to understand, same thing I talked about last week, when you begin to find your Macedonian call, when you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to stir you up for what your place is in the body, what your role is in the body, we talk about spiritual maturity as in you've learned a bunch of scriptures and you come to church twice a week. Let me, let me tell you what spiritual maturity is to me. Responsibility. When you begin to feel responsible for what goes on at this church, you're taking another level of responsibility. Because the majority of people that will walk through those doors are here to sit in a seat and listen to good worship and to hear, hopefully, a good sermon, and they walk right back out the doors. But we're not going to change a community doing that. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that as good as the church at Philippi was doing, one of the things they needed to be on guard from is, is the enemy coming in and turning them away from the discipleship and the things that they were already doing in unity. And there begin to be, like the Corinthian church, factions and divisions. And, well, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of this one, and I'm of that one. Nothing will destroy the unity of a church quicker than people who come in and take a a consumer type of a mentality towards church rather than a I'm responsible for this. That's a huge difference in the church, and the American church is bad about that. In other words, here it is. Don't join the church that necessarily has all those things. Plant yourself in the church where you find a family of believers that love you, support you, and encourage you, challenge you, tell you the truth, amen, in love. That's why my joy about Christian Center Church and what God has been doing and is continuing to do if we keep the right attitude and keep the right mind in us is beautiful because we support each other. We come around each other. We pick each other up when we fall down. And Paul saw that in the Philippian church. You had people sitting on a row that may have just gotten out of jail and somebody who was very wealthy sitting on the other end. And here's what he noticed. He said, there's no difference between you. There's, you guys are helping each other. You're discipling each other. You're doing these things that are what, what create a really awesome culture. And the culture that we want to have here is that when people come in, they understand that we don't have the best and brightest lights and a smoke machine and all these different kind of things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what I have desired is that we would be a strong church, strong in our faith, strong in our discipleship, and we would be a family of people who take care of each other. But a haughty spirit or thinking higher of yourself than you ought is going to destroy that. Amen? Amen. Because we're not consumers. 
spiritual maturity begins to come into your life when you actually take responsibility for what is going on around you. And what what I'm about to say, I want to say very carefully, unless I am misunderstood. If you've ever gotten offended and left a church, if you've ever gotten offended and left a church, and listen to me very carefully, very carefully, there is a such thing as spiritual abuse. Amen? Our pastors at any church across the entire world are not above accountability and not above questioning and not above reproach. Everybody hear me? But I'm talking about when you're fully submitted under a pastor, you know that loves God and knows loves you and wants the best for you. Then people who get offended and leave a church, careful what I'm about to say, it's because you were treating the church like a business and not a family. I'll tell you this, I didn't choose my family I was born into, amen? Amen. Churches would be a lot stronger and a lot more successful and a lot more impacting in all their communities if we quit treating the church like a business and saw that we're the family of God. Bound together in a spirit of unity. God wants us to become such a deeply discipled Christian that we are growing and grafting together. Not just because we like the preaching, even though I I hope you do. Not because we just like the style of worship. Listen, you, a person will only be as healthy as their lateral relationships. And that's what the body of Christ is. It's, It's relationships that we form with other people that are there for the discipling that the Holy Spirit does. It's not going to be more sermons or better worship that changes you. It's actually becoming a person of maturity that understands that I have a part to play in what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. Of getting involved, of jumping out there. And he says this, God wants to graft your life together with other people. Why? So that there's no schisms or factions. It's what a great church looks like, that when we're like somebody falls, you're not making an example of them, but you're picking them up, amen? You're doing what you need to do. Yeah, you messed up, but let me pick you up and let me help you walk further. Paul did this. He said, if you want to look at somebody to follow, look up here at Timothy. If you want to look at somebody to follow, look up here at Silas. If you want to look at somebody to emulate, he he said, follow me as I follow Christ. We see those things in Scripture because we're there to be an example to other people. And he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition. Ambition isn't bad, but selfish ambition will shipwreck a church. It'll shipwreck a family. It'll shipwreck a business. It'll shipwreck anything that you could possibly imagine. Because selfish ambition, we know, isn't ambition that's directed by God in a good way. Paul is an ambitious man. You you can't discount that about him. I mean... Somebody wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, even though he didn't know he was doing it, but planted and did all the work that he did and kept being driven on this is my calling, this is my gift, this is what God's called me to do. And he never, he, he even said in the, in the first chapter, and I didn't talk about it, but he literally made up his own word for about being earnest. It means somebody that literally stretches out with everything that they are in order to see Christ formed in the people that he saw saved under his ministry. So ambition isn't bad. Selfish ambition is bad. Conceit, vain conceit. What's vain conceit? Selfish ambition is doing it for yourself instead of the person beside you. Amen? Vain conceit, the Bible talks about, is 
One guy said it this way, conceit is about appearances and it's about saving face. So conceit can turn into something that we're just concerned about the appearance of it. In other words, vain conceit is comparing yourself to another person and you don't quite feel like you measure up. That's how vain conceit. That happens in the church all the time, amen? Somebody gets up and sings a special, well, I guess since I can't sing that beautifully, God doesn't have anything for me. I can't minister the word or pray over people or do any of those type of things, and God doesn't have something for me. And we know in Corinthians that that's hogwash because we are all the body. Just because you're not a hand or an eye or an ear or whatever different part, we all have our role to play. So my point tonight is selfish ambition and vain conceit will bring schisms in the body, and we're not operating in our Macedonian call. We're not operating the way God wants us to operate. He said this, have the same mind as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, what did he do? He took himself off the throne and made himself nothing and took the form of a bondservant, took the form of a servant. As a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to what? Even to the point of death as a an example of all who would follow his way in the future, that he is our model of battling against vain conceit and selfish ambition. I want to encourage you tonight as you sit here in this room and listen to this word. We see in the Bible more often than not, God didn't use somebodies to advance his kingdom. He used nobodies to advance his kingdom. That should encourage you, amen? Because I'm just a big nobody. And to be honest, so are you. And as long as you keep that heart in you, God will continue to use you. Because my God doesn't share His glory with any man. He will not. Conceit and selfish ambition will destroy the unity of the Spirit and keep us from the task of advancing the kingdom. He says, and there be like-minded. And I thought, I couldn't get this off my mind the last couple of days, so I finally as I was finishing my notes early this morning when I was here. And uh, I kept going back to the book of Nehemiah, and I've studied that deep. I think I've even preached on it years ago, um, of this being, this church kind of being in the same condition as what Jerusalem was at the time in Nehemiah. And I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of the story. Nehemiah is called and anointed by God, and given the king's decree and given the king's permission to take a group of Israelites back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the walls. A city without any walls in those days was completely useless. So the thing that they set about doing, here's why I think I kept coming back to it, I believe, with all my heart. I kept coming back to this because we see there that there was tremendous unity in the task that God had given them. They were unified. They were all together. Some of them were and some of them weren't because when you read the chapters of Nehemiah, if you don't think God's paying attention of who's in and who's out, think again. Because for all eternity, the names of the people written who didn't get on board are are listed. And the names of the people who did are listed. I love the genius of Nehemiah because he put them all in family units. Listen, we're just one tiny, small part of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. We are in the grand scheme of things. But God puts people in family units much like he did in the book of Nehemiah. Listen, I feel the Holy Spirit when I say this, because nobody will fight for you like your family. 
I'm telling you here tonight. I know we don't all get along all the time and we get little things going and little this and that. And I want you to know that the body that you're in now, we'll fight for you. And, and, and Nehemiah knew that. So when they're building the wall, I love it, they're building the wall and they had to keep a brick in one hand to build and a sword in the other. Because <laughs> there was this old cat named Sanballat. And Sanballat was somebody who would come along every single day and he would mock the people of God. I want to tell you something tonight. The enemy can't really tear down what God is building in your life. But the enemy will come and mock you. First thing he comes and says, he says, Can you, you, you feeble Jews, you can't really do this. You feeble people, you're not going to be able to, And all he can do is spew out his hate and his lies and his vitriol. I love, I, I love how Nehemiah, I'll put it in today's vernacular since I already used Kardashian as an example for some of you. <laughs> Nehemiah's like, ain't nobody got time for that, Sambala. Ain't nobody got time to come down there and full. If we would learn to ignore the enemy and get to work, that's the point of my sermon tonight. <laughs> Y'all need to shut your ears to the enemy and take up your sword of the Spirit and take a brick to build and the thing that God has called you to because He has called everybody in here to do something within this church. And before any of my just simple... I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Unity is not the absence of strife. Listen to me. Unity is not the absence of strife. I don't come in here and try to get rid of strife. I don't do that. Unity is the presence of a strategy. Unity is the presence of a strategy. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a strategy for how to get the city of Jerusalem built up, back, inhabited, and God's blessing on it again. And I've had a strategy from the very first day that I walked into this place. And one thing that I want you to know for everybody sitting here, and I'll probably say it Sunday too, I need your help. If it's nothing more than lifting me and my family up to make sure we don't get wiped out in the process of this thing. Amen? Amen. I need, I can't do this alone. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone, but we can do it together. In the book of Nehemiah, and it relates to Philippians chapter 2, everybody had a hole in the wall to fill. Everybody had a job. A great church is not built on the gifts of the few, but on the sacrifice of the many. That's what a great church is. It's not on the gifts of a handful of people that, man, isn't he a great preacher? Isn't he a great worship leader? Isn't, isn't this great or that great? It's, it's built on the sacrifices. Listen to me. I've mentioned this many times before. You're sitting in a building because of the sacrifices of people that went before us. And in the future, I'm going to be getting up here and calling us to make sacrifices together to continue to build the kingdom in Homosassa, Florida, that will go on into the next generation and the generation after that at the Lord Terry's. They said in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. I'll promise you that there's no greater calling There's no greater sacrifice. There's no better way to keep the unity of the Spirit than to understand that God has called His church to build His kingdom on earth. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But it takes all of us being sold out. I love that Nehemiah gave all the people a job and he gave them a sword and he set them among the members of their own family. So stand with me tonight. I'll go through these quickly. You say, what do I do to keep unity? 
What do I do to be diverse? The diversity of the body, when you walk into any body, it should have diversity of backgrounds, diversity of education, diversity of experiences. That's what makes it beautiful. Number one, to keep unity, is find your gift and keep busy. He who rows the boat has no time to rock the boat. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I'm always amazed at the people that have, I've had it many times here. Pastor, I know I've only known you three days. This is what you should do with this church. I'll say it again, ain't nobody got time for that. Here's why. In the book of Nehemiah, when they knew their position, when they knew what their assignment, when they knew where God had called them, and Steve Hill used to say this, a great revivalist at the Brownsville Revival that I graduated from, listened to him four nights a week. He said, draw a circle in it, draw a circle of what God's called you to do and stay in it. That's great advice, by the way. We like to go over and help this one over here and get involved in that over there. Find out what God's calling you to do. Draw a circle and stay in it. Because, listen, your position that God places you in is the reason you will be able to overcome opposition that inevitably comes. Inevitably. Inevitably, there will be people that are ambitious in a bad way. There will be people that do are filled with vain conceit. Paul knew this. And he said, let my joy be complete because you will all be like-minded. And, hey, we're diverse. We're reaching the city of Philippi. Let's not start raising people up and anointing that one over here and doing this over here. Let's all have the same heart, same mind, same accord. Number two is take up your sword, the word of God, in order to speak back to the devil just like Jesus did in the wilderness. Amen? Amen. If you come across disunity, let me tell you where it's coming from. It's coming from the enemy. It's not coming from God. So you don't even have to rebuke it to the person. You rebuke it in the spirit. Amen? So my point is, in the second chapter of Philippians, the book of Nehemiah, hand and glove, what did he tell him to do? Work and pray. Work and pray. Work and pray. Work and pray. So tonight you haven't found your place of work within the body. I'm talking about the church. Find it. And then secondly, pray with all that you have. Amen? Amen. Work and pray. Understand they won because they created a sense of family among the people. Listen, you cannot reach the dreams that God has placed within your heart by yourself. It wasn't created to be that way. When one of us advances, guess what? We all advance. When one of us turns away from temptation and clings to God and, and doesn't lay hold of schisms or causing any division. Or, and, and everybody here, your pastor tonight, this isn't because there's division in this church. Does everybody understand? This is what I got out of the second chapter of Philippians. But when I saw the word joy, I said, Lord, I've got joy in my heart because of the people that I get to minister to on a weekly basis. And now I feel like I'm a part of your life and you guys are a part of my life. And I love you all. And I want to see you get to the dreams of visions. And I see God's anointing coming down on so many in this church and finally bringing you into that place of fruitfulness, finally bringing you into that place where you're finding your, your role and your giftings and your callings. And, man, I just want to say tonight, amen, because we can't do this alone. 
If we want to see God reach and shake homeless ass of Florida, and I hope you do, that's, our, that's what we're here for. Is you got to find that place. you got to find that family. You've got to graft and plant yourself in to that place God has for you and work and pray. Keep the humility. Keep the bond. The bond of the Spirit. Keep that place where we bow our knee to Jesus. We take the same mind that he had in him who did not consider it robbery, equality with God, but made himself of no reputation. Amen? We're people of no reputation that lift up a God of beautiful reputation. Lift up a God of grace and salvation and mercy. But it's finding, understand that diversity isn't found. Diversity is not found in us all saying the same thing and thinking the same way. It's found in the Spirit of God. When we open ourselves up to Him and we invite Him to be a part of this church, that bond of the Spirit is a family unit that can see God do great things. Amen? Amen? Let's pray for that unity tonight. Father, we love you so very much. First, Lord, we want to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippian church. Lord, I pray it over this body tonight that we would have that same mind in us, that we would have a heart of servanthood. We would have a heart of humility. We would have a heart that, God, we just want to see Jesus glorified, people saved, healed, and delivered. So, Father, just like Paul's joy was made complete in the body of Christ at Philippi in that time was made complete, because they all rallied around the same Savior. They all rallied around each other. They all supported each other, loved each other, discipled each other, helped each other. Lord, can that same spirit be prevalent here where you have literally called and planted the people of God in this community, in this church, and at other churches too. Let there be unity throughout the body of Christ. But most of all, Lord, if there be selfish ambition or vain conceit in my heart, or in any of the hearts of the people present here that call this place home. Father, I pray tonight you root it out of us and that unity and grace would flow out to everybody else around us, Lord. Father, we love you tonight, and I pray blessings over the people of God. I pray that you would keep us safe, you would keep us attentive to your word, attentive to your spirit speaking to our ear in that still, small voice. And that, Lord God, you would protect and watch over every member of this church until you bring us back together at the appointed time. Father, we pray for Friday night right now in this moment, God, that these young adults would experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, our men's fellowship Saturday night would enjoy good fellowship and good communication, free-flowing communication and fun with each other. God, Sunday morning, move in a powerful way. Sunday night at our women's thing, God. Let the ministry of the word be powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, let this weekend be one that has the blessings of God upon it as you bless your people that are right here in front of me, Father. Bless them coming in and bless them going out. Bless them at their home and with their family and bless them on their job site, Lord. God, let the blessings of God be upon us until we come back together to celebrate your name. In Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord, guys. Be blessed and have a good, good night.